welcome back to an episode of Not a Lady, a Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman podcast. This is Kelly. And I'm Sarah. And this is episode five of season one, titled The Healing. And before we jump right in with talking about the episode, our last podcast, we gave a a challenge and an invitation to listeners. Again, I want to give credit where credit is due. I did not come up with this idea myself. The amazing ladies who host podcasts over at Fascination and Frustration play what they call a lessons game with their listeners where listeners have the opportunity to write in after the discussion of a certain episode and can write any lessons that either they, the listener, or lessons they believe those characters learned in that particular episode. Our last podcast, we talked about Law of the Land, guest starring Johnny Cash, and we did have a lesson write-in. And so I'm excited to share it with you, Kelly, and just hear if you have any thoughts. Okay. So this is from the Instagram account Lisa Farber King 6 and her lesson was... As we see more and more people unable to afford food, it was almost current that John stole because his family was starving. And here's the lesson. It is all too easy to judge others without taking into account the circumstances. What would you do to feed your family? Would you steal? I think the episode pointed out the difference between law and justice. Nice. No, I completely agree. I think it is very easy to judge people, but we have no idea how we would respond in certain situations. So really good lesson. I like it. So be sure after the end of this episode on any of our social medias, feel free to write in lessons that you learned as well as any lessons you think any of the characters. And there are a lot of lessons in this particular episode. So we're looking forward to hearing what you guys think. I also personally just wanted to give a shout out for everybody that is still listening as we've actually seen that we have listeners from 19 different countries, which again is still blowing my mind because I did not expect that. And it's really neat to see that, I mean, Dr. Quinn was obviously, you know, based in the United States, the show and just talking about where the show was filmed and such, but It's really neat that we've had so many people from different countries um, listen in. And, je sais que nous avons un certain nombre d'auditeurs français. Je suis désolée que mon français n'est pas le meilleur, mais la France est un endroit important pour nous parce que je suis née en France et ma soeur a regardé Dr. Quinn pour la première fois en France. Et donc, nous sommes si heureux que vous écoutiez notre podcast et merci, merci beaucoup. I don't even know what you said, but it sounded awesome. I just thought we've had a lot of people, especially on our social media, right, that they um, are listening from France and even on Facebook, some groups have been shared. So yeah, it's exciting for us. And Kelly did minor in French, so she was excited when French fans were posting and she could read what they were saying. (laughs) Exactly. So this episode aired on the 23rd of January, 1993. The director was Gwen Arner, and she, prior to this, actually had directed 13 episodes of The Waltons. Oh, nice. She directed other stuff too, but that was the only title I knew. She will actually 
go on to direct a total of 12 Dr. Quinn episodes. And the writers, obviously Beth Sullivan still gets credit as creator, but the two co-writers we had for this episode were Sarah Davidson. In her repertoire, she had 54 episodes of Dr. Quinn that she was linked to. And in more than one job, from writer to producer to... She had like all sorts of jobs listed. So this is a a woman who was very involved in this show for quite a few years and a return from last week's co-writer tony perling so let's kick it off we start this episode by dr mike and the kids walking in town and kind of immediately i guess i was a little confused right because they don't show the whole context i think brian says like i i want to learn can you teach me and then matthew's like the reverend doesn't want anyone touching it but they, we don't really know what they're talking about, right? Like, we have no idea. And then the camera pans over, and we see that they, they are unloading a piano. And kind of immediately as they're trying to unload this piano from the wagon, Lauren hurts himself, <laughs> kind of keels over. All those useless young men hanging around there, and they got the old shopkeeper doing the bottom catching the... Sully, Sully's up in the cart, and then you have Lauren down. And I'm like... Come on, Jake. Come on, Hank. You guys are in everything. Why are you not doing this? Yeah, but knowing Lauren, he probably wouldn't have let him anyway. So Probably. (laughs) But I think someone makes a good point of like, why are we unloading it here? And then the reverend's like, oh, we'll get a cart and take it over to the church. And I'm like, wait. What? (laughs) It's on a cart. (laughs) Or it's on a wagon. I don't, you know, maybe I don't know the difference between a cart and a wagon, but I'm kind of like... Work smarter, not harder, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, it seems like a lot of extra work to uh, do that twice. But Myra runs over from the saloon, and she's basically like, Dr. Mike, you got to come see this guy. Not sure what's happened. And so, sure enough, they find a client, <laughs> and he's in the back room, and he's dead. Dr. Mike confirms that he's dead. It's kind of weird to me how everybody just, like, follows. Oh, it's so weird. Yeah, including Horace, which is probably awkward. (laughs) Well, also, I think we talked about this in the pilot, how they, this is, this is, you know, a family-friendly show, right? A show that plays at what would be considered, like, the family hour, and how you can have an event like this where they, they really tiptoe around saying what actually happened or what was going on through the entire episode and it's not just like Myra trying to explain to Dr. Mike and then Dr. Mike trying to explain to everyone and then later Sully comes in and is trying to and then there's like Hank is like well he died happy and I'm like I know some kid somewhere is like oh he was sleeping and he was happy (laughs) and he died yeah Anyway, it's uh anyway. It's entertaining, I suppose, to see how they try and get around actually saying anything that would be labeled as, you know, adult content. Meanwhile, everyone watching is just like, this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> but um Dr. Mike is like, "Well, let's take him to my clinic cuz she wants to do an autopsy." 
And do you feel like most people know what autopsies are? I feel like most people know what autopsies are. If they watch crime shows, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, anybody that turns on CBS, you know, 7, 8, 9 o'clock. You know what's interesting, though... Uh, there was a time where the, especially the church, was very against autopsies because it, it and I think it's, Sully alludes to it from the Cheyenne perspective, but um, yeah. just like, well, you know, I think a lot of what we know about medicine is th- started out through autopsies and, and studying how people died, why people died, you know, whatever, like understanding the human body. But if you go back to like Greek and Roman time periods, like it was punishable by death yeah. to touch a dead body, much less yeah. study it or cut it open or whatever, like, cause it was unclean. It was, and yeah, like this idea of what does it do to the soul if you damage the body (laughs) right but this this reminds me of i'm pretty sure you you watched the movie the physician on netflix didn't you oh yeah like a really long time ago okay well i really like i recommend that movie it's very good it's called the physician um but it's it's very much like this where you don't actually know what the heart looks like or the lungs because they've never seen it's just a very educated guess does that ben kingsley yeah 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 he's kind of the the physician teacher so it's very good movie and um I won't give too much away but they do come across this like you said um this conflict of religious background but also people physicians that are in training that want to know more and understand more and the way to do that would be to investigate a dead a dead body pardon me so for those who don't know let me just humor you autopsies it's basically just a surgical procedure in which you you dissect and examine a corpse um, to determine the mode, the manner, the cause of death, but also to just, you know, look for disease, injury. And today, that would be, normally pathologists do that, but a lot of times in, in medical shows, you'll see medical examiners, coroners, um, and they're the ones that are allowed to look for cause of death. But in this case, Dr. Quinn wants to figure out, okay, why did this guy die? Because at this point, we don't have really any any reasoning of why he would have died. That was common because autopsies were, they weren't popular. They didn't become popular until the 1800s, but it was common. And so I think for them in rural Colorado, probably not a thing that they knew about, but it was something that was happening during this time. Hmm. The next scene, we're in Jake's barber shop where he is giving Lauren a shave. And I feel kind of bad for Lauren because he obviously just doesn't... I'm not sure his motivation for not wanting to admit that he got hurt or not wanting to directly... Well, I guess he's embarrassed because it's a lump in a lower region or whatever, but (laughs) um, he's, like, (laughs) alluding to, like, what would... That piano was so heavy. Anyone could get hurt. What would you do if you got hurt? It's that scenario of, like, oh, like... My friend has this problem, yeah. and, uh, you know. Yeah, but actually, I guess we should give a nod that Jake is a good friend and is kind of like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and and I was actually surprised when he, he actually knew what it was right away. He knew it was a hernia. I know. <laughs> Mostly because we, like, we give him so much crap for the fact that he acts like he knows a lot, but... I mean, hernia is a very broad, right? There's there can, You can have a lot of different types of hernias. 
But um, I think it's funny because Jake's like, all right, like, just show me, like, get it over with. And Lauren's like, no. And then he's like, uh, would you rather have that woman look at it? No, I know didn't it's almost so. like a threat. <laughs> but I mean, it, I mean, it's valid, right? It's a good reasoning. And then we have this like very next scene where he's like, oh, <laughs> lacing him up in a corset, basically. Well, so Which, I wrote corset, but then later they call they it a truss. A truss. Yeah. But a truss is, it's actually a supportive undergarment for men that kind of keeps that protruding intestines or what they call a lump here. It's keeping that in place. It's not used to treat a hernia. It does nothing to treat it, but it's just basically keeping people comfortable while you have that hernia. Um, so You Jake, said in men. is are, yeah. Do only men get hernias? Um, no, but in inguinal hernias, which is what I believe Lauren has, are more common in men. And then femoral or femoral, however you want to say it, hernias are much more common in women. So there are lots of types of hernias. I think it's an inguinal hernia, which we get a very good um, explanation from Dr. Quinn later. But usually it's when a tissue or organ, in this case the large intestine, actually comes through the wall of whatever cavity it's supposed to be in. So in this case, it's that abdominal wall muscle. There's actually two different types. There's indirect and direct. Without going into too much detail, it can be basically when the large intestine comes through the inguinal canal, which is very pro- more prominent in men for reasons I won't go into. And, or it can be because the, there's a weakness in that abdominal wall and the intestines stick through that. And it's not actually proven that heavy lifting and hernias are directly related, but it can be with strenuous activity that puts a strain on that abdominal wall or anything that would cause an increase in internal pressure. So in this case, you know, his lifting and at his age, it's it's very common. Lauren heads back to the mercantile where we see Olive and he immediately tells her that he needs her help with creating his will. And she makes a comment about, you're not fixing to die, are you? And he's like, you know, you never know. People die all the time. People die all the time, which I thought the connection there was going to be, you had this young man who, you know, died in the saloon. But actually, Olive then says, oh, you mean like Maude. Right. And then, of course, he brings up, Abigail and his granddaughter, grandchild, which is, I give the writers credit for being consistent with Lauren's character in that he blames one person and one person only for their death, and it's Sully. And surprisingly, Olive kind of blows him off about it. You know, she makes a face where she's just like, oh, here we go again, right? Right, Like, this is obviously a consistent... that he talks about I don't really know the purpose of this scene other than maybe to show us that he's still mad at Sully right and because right after this they're looking through the stuff and that's when they find that deed to the property okay so I think it's probably for those purposes to he, he, I don't think he ever would have recognized that the property that the homestead was built on still belongs to Maud, which now technically still belongs to him had he not gone looking. Um, so they do, there is no, Good actually, point. we don't actually find out in that, that moment. No, it's a couple scenes later that that Right, but we, he says, you know, but like. That, no, that's the motivation, you're right. Right. He just says, oh, it's the deed for Maud's property, but we don't actually know what that means. Yeah. 
it seems like it's the next day. So I'm assuming it's Sunday because everybody's it looks like it's at after church, church and they're having a picnic and doing some races. And I think one nice thing about this episode, I have some issues with the Colleen plotline. Me too. But one thing that I like is in the last episode, both plot lines were very centered around Matthew and what was going on with John and, you know, the Mm -hmm. immigrants. And then the secondary storyline was about Brian and his female dear Byron. (laughs) Um, So I think it it is a nice transition to have the secondary storyline where it is about Colleen. So they're really trying to balance and give all the children, you know, their their own progress and story and all that kind of thing but we of course as with I don't know probably middle school 13 yeah that's like either middle school or lower high school I was gonna ask you how old do you think she is well I mean two episodes ago she was 13 (laughs) so I don't think that much time has gone by no no so yeah I mean I would assume she's probably middle school high school which by the way middle have school. we talked about any schooling at all yet no we not haven't yet. which is just not yet interesting but it is interesting and I guess that gives me more perspective because a couple of times I was like kind of like what and then I guess yeah middle school is pretty dramatic you've been teaching middle schoolers for a while so you can vouch <laughs> I really like I totally understood all of this girl drama girls know how to be mean to girls and not necessarily number from, one way from you but from oh yeah, from students. me from I wasn't gonna say my it. own story. No, not like me. <laughs> like from my experience with girls. Girls were me. That's what I was saying. I was trying I was, to say. Yeah. It's not from you when you were in middle school. It's from you with students. But no, I mean, because well, I remember you in middle school. <laughs> well, and I was. I mean, we moved back from Africa when I was in middle school. So you want to talk about a girl who felt like she was really different <laughs> than the other kids? Yeah. I definitely found that relatable. And, yeah, like, we have this girl, Alice, who we've never seen before, Mm -mm. who's obviously ignoring Colleen. Colleen's obviously obsessed with her. Well, Dr. Mike, oh, I thought you two were friends. (laughs) No, I totally feel like that's a mom thing to say. Like, oh, maybe it's a mom thing to say, but I was just like, Dr. Mike, you're cooler than this. Like, if you, you know, why don't you just ask Colleen about what's happening, not be like, aren't you guys friends? So that she can be like, we used to be, but now she only cares about hair bonnets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And she does. She asks Dr. Mike, like, do you think she's prettier than me? And Dr. Mike has this, like, little, I don't want to say speech, but, like, little, um... I guess it's kind of like a pep talk. It's like some people, they're like perfume and, and everyone just gravitates toward them. But do you know what? I wasn't that kind of girl and, and you don't need to be like, (laughs) I, this is one of the issues that I have with this is first of all, Colleen says, is she prettier than me? And Dr. Mike says, no, of course not. Which I just feel really strongly about this with middle school girls. Don't let them compare themselves right? Well, it should not make Colleen feel better to think that someone is not as pretty as her. You know what I mean? Whether it's true or not, right? Because we girls have a low enough self-esteem without being like, I've, well, at least I'm prettier than her or, but she's prettier than, you know? And, and I say this being, being 
very guilty of this. And I think a lot of parents do kind of feed into this idea of like, oh, well, I'm not as, you know, skinny as that girl, but I'm not as big as that girl. And my hair is prettier than hers, but she has really nice, you know what I mean? Like this comparing thing. I almost wish that Dr. Mike... And I know, you know, she's new at it and whatever, but I almost wish she had shut it down. Shut it down. And just been like, you're beautiful. She's beautiful. You're not the same person. You don't need to compare yourself to her. You know, right. like. Right. Um, and then, yeah. And then that perfume speech where she's, which is a, a weird speech anyway. But then at the end of it, you know, Colleen says, well, I don't have that. And, and Dr. Mike was like, well, you will someday. And I'm like, what if she won't? What if she's introverted and she doesn't, people don't, you know, like, I don't know. I just, this was one of my qualms with, I'm like, I, I don't think this is how I would want, I'm not a mother, right? But I am a teacher. And so if I was watching this with some of my female middle school students, you would have paused and been like, okay, so what's wrong with this? Yeah, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the danger. And and believe me, I don't think Dr. Mike meant any harm by it. I think she really was trying to encourage Colleen. Because our, our mom has said that kind of thing to me, too. Uh, oh, yeah. She said, like, you know, well, you you might just take a little longer to get there. Like, so there is moments, you know, where I think that is true. Like, we don't all reach the same stages of life at the same time but I think the the part where Colleen was for sure comparing her friendships comparing her looks comparing her you know she was and needed affirmation to feel like that's what made her valuable exactly exactly and so I definitely like I'm happy we get to talk about it but but I'm hoping that more conversations like this happened instead of you know, maybe a little girl watching the show and being like, oh, I wish I had a mother like Dr. Mike who told me I'm prettier than other girls, you know? <laughs> like, that's not healthy for anyone. Yeah. And I forget who, right after this, somebody asked about, like, oh, where's Sully? Brian. And he, he's like, I want him to watch me. <laughs> and we see that Sully is over in the cemetery, their little cemetery that they have. And Dr. Mike says, you know, he's visiting... His wife's grave. I don't know if you noticed this. There's like this weird. She makes a face. Yeah. It's like I couldn't tell if like she looks uncomfortable or she looks disappointed. Yeah. Like it's very weird. And at this point, like we've had no conversation about like, oh, do they have feelings for each other or something? I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. Like, sure. I think the, the, the viewers have maybe thought like, oh, is something happening there? Like. You know, because they've spent a lot of time together, but it's weird. And I'm he like, Why is she kissed her forehead he's... or whatever, you know. Right, but it's like there's been no conversation, so I'm like, is she jealous? Is that a look yeah. of jealousy? Well, is and it, that, what is that? And if it is a look of jealousy, this, this stinking stupid. <laughs> no, it really bothered me, and it's going to bother yeah. me continually through the rest yeah. of this episode. I'm just going to lay it out there, and people may hate me for it, but I really did not like dr mike in a majority of this episode like i really had trouble with her character in this episode and it starts from yeah this this moment where all brian says is oh he must have really loved his wife a lot and her face is like like, oh my gosh what is my life (laughs) 
It's just, again, it's just weird to me because there's been no conversation. So I'm like, girl, why are you, what even is that? They're but. not committed. They're not pursuing even anything. They haven't even had a conversation that says we're going to pursue something. It's pretty much been that they're really good friends and they really care about each other. And yeah. obviously there's, you know, romantic tension that we as the audience have seen. <laughs> but if you go off the characters themselves it's probably just both in their own heads, you know? Like, toward yeah. each other, they haven't had a lot of... Yeah, so right. it's It's a. It's what I would call a weird beat, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. So then we kind of transitioned over to the cemetery, and Lauren and Oliver there visiting. Well, they're going to visit, you know, and... And Olive says something like, oh, like, Sully's here. And Lauren's like, we have an understanding. Like, yeah. like I guess timing-wise, or it's like, you get your turn, I get my turn, yeah. we don't talk about it. Or, But also, I think, like, getting some context to, like, okay, two years ago. Two years is not that long time for, like, your wife and your child to die. In my opinion, I'm like, that's In really... horrible... Yeah, boy. Well, yeah, no. Yeah. It's awful. And it also, I think, helps me understand why there's still some lingering tension between... Lauren and Sully because I'm like okay I think as a viewer you're like get over it like move on with your life like you know what I mean like don't be so mad at him Sully even says that isn't it yeah time we get we move past this yeah but part of me is like I guess I can understand a little bit more because two years is not is not a long time at all and we know also within that time Lauren has also lost his wife so right that's that's two years of losing two you know maybe three I mean the baby counts but they never got to know the baby which probably makes it worse but right three people who you love yeah that's and especially when we'll learn more details about how everything right. went down you're like okay I can see why Lauren is resentful why he's bitter yeah. You know, but he, I guess he's so angry because even in that conversation where Sully's like, can't we, it, hasn't it been long enough? And then he whips out, um, <laughs> you know, just so you know, Maud's name or the deed still has Maud's name on it, which means it's mine. He's like, that was a gift to Abigail. He's like, well, she never actually wrote her name down, so joke's on you. <laughs> Rude. Oh, but an interesting thing about this scene was learning that Sully married Abigail without Lauren's permission. Correct. Which, I don't know, it gave me a lot more empathy for Lauren. Because if you look at culturally what that would mean in the 1800s to marry, like, you know there's that stupid song... (laughs) I shouldn't say it's a stupid song. There's that song, present day, that is like... Are you about to say rude? Yes. (laughs) I'm going to marry her anyway. And I'm like, I personally don't really like that song. But it's just interesting, like, how strongly people kind of reacted to that song. And were like, that's so disrespectful to a father. Like, in the modern day... In today's times. Yeah, can you imagine in the 1800s where, you know, not only was a woman marrying into a family but also like her dowry and everything that you know it was an exchange and and we hear this later like he had plans for you know her future and his, and the future of his 
store basically his legacy too to know that oh man he went behind lauren's back and married his daughter no wonder this guy hates his guts (laughs) yeah yeah and then to have them and and sully never i don't know if he will but at this point has never apologized for that and maybe that's because sully feels that he was justified because Lauren was never going to give his approval anyway. Right. And we do find out more details later. But it, I, about... I don't know. It just adds layers to Lauren for me. Whereas initially I was like, man, what a grumpy, bitter old, old man. man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree. We go back to the field where we're having games. And Matthew and Brian play the little... I don't know what it's called. It's like the wheel wheelbarrow, wheelbarrow race. Yeah, wheelbarrow race. And um, next they're going to do the three-legged race. And Colleen is trying to find a partner. because She's very excited about this. And we see her not be able to find a partner. And people awkwardly partner up when she asks them. And, I mean, the Reverend sees this and asks if she'll be his partner. In which she's like, you know. And so he kind of includes her to help judge. But... She's, like, crying by, like, when he, that happens, you know? It's kind of, like, we, it's just, like, reiterating what we've already said, that she's feeling left out. She's feeling like she's not one of the perfume girls. <laughs> yeah. It's that moment of, like, being picked last on the, on the team, but she Definitely. doesn't get picked at all. She gets picked by the, the preacher. <laughs> yeah. Something like this, in her mind, is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to her. Up until she finds out she didn't get invited to the party. And then that's the worst thing that's ever going to happen to her. Like, right. and and for kids this age, because I've been in these conversations with students, you know, around the same age. And, you know, as adults, we kind of want to be like, listen, if this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you, your life is going to be great. <laughs> but to them, they don't see it that way. They're like, I cannot get any lower than this. And so being able to recognize that, extreme amount of pain that she is feeling in that moment like I was just saying that I get you Colleen that's I'm so sorry the next day we are in the clinic when Lauren very uncharacteristically delivers I would assume some supplies that Dr. Mike or ordered recently but we learn that he is there with ulterior motives which turns out like it he actually wants her opinion he doesn't want her to touch him he doesn't want her to look at him, <laughs> he, but he does want to share with her that he's been having some discomfort. Pain. And I yeah. really, you mentioned it earlier, but I almost wish Dr. Mike did this more, but then we would kind of not have a good reason for a podcast. But I feel like she explains a hernia so well. She explains it well, but I also like the way that... And this patients do this all the time, right? They they come in and they want help, but they don't really want you to do the things you need to do to be able to help them, which would be to take a history, inspect, like... Um, and so I think, you know, her being like, okay, like, if you don't want me to touch you, you don't want me to look at it, like, describe it to me. I think she she's, like, actually really trying to mm. help him without being, like get over yourself like this is my job I don't care (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is what she's thinking um but he says you know Jake said it's a hernia I I you know wore the truss um and then next thing we know the doorbell's ringing so she kind of runs over to see Sully 
she's basically like, oh, Mr. Bray is here. And he's like, I got to talk to you about that. He's probably assuming maybe that Lauren's like yeah, having that conversation. But, um, Which is timing, Sully. So he kind of briefly explains that to her. Sully explains, um, which, by the way, his facial hair is very nice. That's all I'm going to say. And um, I literally wrote a note, and it's facial hair in all caps. And then... <laughs> but then I think she... Is she... Do you think that maybe she's frustrated when she learns about the homestead? Because then she comes back in, and she's like, you need to get surgery, or you'll get gangrene and die. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, slow down. Let the guy... <laughs> He's still processing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she comes back and I'm just going to kind of repeat what she says. She says, you know, did Jake explain the hernia? It's a tear in the stomach muscle and the intestines stick out. And yeah, you would need surgery basically to push those intestines back up, sew up the tear. And if you don't, they can become strangulated and cut off blood supply to the bowel, which is the large intestine and it could cause gangrene, which is, yeah. I don't know what gangrene is. Um, so gangrene basically comes from necrotic tissue, which is when any part of your body loses blood supply, which is something that's really cool about humans is that we have blood supply to every single part of our body. Um, so if you cut off blood supply to the intestines, that, that tissue is going to start to die. And if enough of it dies, you can develop gangrene, which can be very, very, very serious. Um... So I think horses can get gangrene. I think probably I've heard that. This probably is random to listeners, but Sarah knows things about horses, so that's why she said that. <laughs> They're probably like, "Sorry, why are you just <laughs> like, well, oh horses?" That's the only context that I've heard it in. Yeah, and there's multiple different types of gangrene. So he doesn't take it well. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He basically freaks out and was like, "Keep away from me with those knives and and by the way, get off my property." And you too. <laughs> yeah, he he kind of has this freak out moment, which is unfortunate because it was going well up till then. <laughs> I guess we should say what is what is his motivation here? What is the pattern? He's scared. And he doesn't understand it. And and also, yeah, think about the fact that they've never had a doctor. Like, it doesn't matter if you've heard about... He's obviously heard about it. Yeah, it's like cutting someone open with a knife. But no, it's terrifying. Yeah. I think it's it's surgery is terrifying for people today. So imagine back then when there's very little knowledge and you're trusting someone else to open you up. More like, people what? die from sepsis anyway. <laughs> When they get exactly the... very good, very good. No, a hundred percent. You cutting someone open like that—that's a huge thing. Yeah, afterwards, infection can completely take over. So, yeah, it's it's totally valid. But he he does freak out. Is it the same day? Because I know like the next scene we're in the clinic again, but it's it's later on or maybe the next day. The timing is unclear because it, it almost to me seems like she just goes back in and Sully's still there from when he was earlier. Right. But there's the body is there and it definitely wasn't there <laughs> earlier. So I don't really know the timing of like... Yeah, imagine if Lauren had seen that. <laughs> no, but she she does say they have the, um, the gentleman that had died. Prospector Sam. <laughs> Why did that make me think of Prospector Pete from Toy Story? <laughs> anyway, so the autopsy's complete, and she found... She says he has a bad heart, and he had a hole in the left ventricle, which it's very interesting because we're in cardiology right now, and the left ventricle is what pumps blood through the aorta, which goes out to the rest of your body. So it's basically responsible for pumping all of the blood in your heart to 
everywhere else in your body, which is very, 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 very vital. So if you were to have a hole in that, you wouldn't have proper perfusion of that blood to the other extremities, but vital organs and such like that. So is that believable that he got excited and died? Had a heart attack? Yeah, I mean, no, no, not a heart attack. That would be completely different. This is probably, he had exertion. His left ventricle was not able to pump the amount of blood it needed to the rest of his body. And so that means his brain probably was not um, getting perfused. And so, yeah, I mean, you go without a certain time without blood perfusing your organs and yeah, you'll die for sure. But then she mentions that she wants to keep the body because she wants to practice sewing up a hernia. Which back then Um, I'm pretty sure you can only do an autopsy on a body for so long because, you know, she doesn't have it in ice or cold or, right? Like he's going to start to rot soon or... I... It's funny. I didn't even think about that. I don't know. Which is... Yeah, I mean, cadavers are not just... Yeah, I mean, they're preserved. So, that's true. I guess he's just been sitting in there stinking up the clinic. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Well, that's what... I just feel like she couldn't keep him for long. And also, if you don't have blood moving, like, the body becomes pretty rigid and... um, Creepy. Yeah. Well, (laughs) no, yeah, and hard and... So, I don't even know if she would be able to, like... She, I'm not even sure what she was planning on doing. Just cutting cutting, Inspecting abdominal wall muscle. muscle and then try to stick his intestines out. But are we getting... We might be getting too graphic for our listeners. Yeah. They're probably like, okay, too much. Shut up and keep going. Um, and again, I don't even know if I agree with this because I'm like, yeah, there are procedures that, I mean, you have to learn how to do. And how do you do them unless you're doing them on real people? I mean, we have things that we can practice on, but... I don't know. It's kind of like she never, you know, this guy's dead. She doesn't get to ask permission. So it's kind of this weird thing of like, I guess that's just how it is. But Sully, I mean. Well, they, well, they did mention, I think when they were taking him out of the saloon, like, are you sure he doesn't have any family? Which I'm like, I don't know if that, I guess that was her way of being like, okay, I don't need to ask anyone's permission. If he has no family, I can just do what I want with his body. Sully's like, um, well... He doesn't approve. Yeah, he says, the Cheyenne, we believe that the Cheyenne believe that the dead carry their scars with them to the afterlife. And, and Dr. Quinn's very interesting. She's like, I believe that the people who are left carry the scars. And... Which for 2.5 seconds, I liked it. I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah, it makes you think. You're like, oh, okay. And then I'm also like, where is she going with this? Because right. then she's like... Don't you think you should put Abigail to rest? And I know it's difficult to let go. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Who who gave you the authority or like anything to be able to say? Like, I was just like, why? What did you think he was gonna respond to that? Oh, you know what, yeah, Michaela, you're, you're right. right. Forget about my wife and my dead child. Like, what? No, yeah, I know. And I it's agree. like, why? Just plain insensitive. Yeah. Not to mention it's either the day after or two days after the, yeah, two-year anniversary. Like, I just think, like... There's no timeline for certain people how long they grieve. Not to mention... And she should freaking know. Like, she lost her, um, fiancé. Anyway, without, like, trying to be, like, too negative on her, my, my main thought was, like, why is she asking this? Like, this is coming out of nowhere. Is it a jealousy thing? Or, like, why... Even if he is your friend, I don't think anyone would respond to their friend that way. Like... Well, and I... Because I'm a deep feeler, and I, I definitely think there have been times where I've wallowed in grief longer than I 
needed to, but if if anyone ever confronted me about it, it would be because maybe I'm not eating, not sleeping, not leaving my room wallowing. Sully is living his life. It's not like it's keeping him from being a a person and having relationships. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's not like it's like a breakup and your friend's like, get over yourself and move on. It's like, um, no, this really traumatic, horrible thing happened and yeah. and he's not responding poorly to it. He literally was just at the gravesite, like, showing respect. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. He, I mean, and he puts her in her place and he says, you know, why don't you get back to you know, your autopsy or whatever, you're good at cutting. And I was like, I know. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's another thing that kind of makes you think you're like, whoa, I think he had every right to say that. And that's one of the things I don't like about this episode. She never says sorry for saying this. And I feel like she does owe him an apology. Yeah. We're now at Bray's Mercantile and Colleen is getting some things and poor Mr. Bray is having to reach for them, and she's like, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Meanwhile, he's, like, dying, groaning and moaning in pain, trying to do, yeah, normal functions. Um, But Colleen also sees Olive with um, Alice and some of other... Alice's little posse, basically. We don't really know their names at this time. (laughs) That's true. Um, We never get the names of any of these other girls. Yeah, and we we might later, because I do recognize their faces from later episodes, but everybody is getting invited to Alice's party is what we see. It's She's a having costume a costume party. party. Yeah, they're getting invited, and Alice starts to walk out, Wait, and Colleen... can I talk about the costume party first? Sure. I'm going to stand up on my soapbox. Here I am, placing my soapbox. I'm stepping on the soapbox. <laughs> Individuals of the world... It is never appropriate for someone of non-indigenous ethnicity to wear a costume that is reflective of real indigenous people. Is that what they were dressing up as? The girl literally says, I can be Pocahontas. I have beads. Both of these characters that they talk about, they also talk about Lily Langtree. I don't... Listen, I love Pocahontas, the, the person... Um, I, you know, her story is far more of a tragedy than a lot of people realize because most of them have only seen the Disney movie. But I don't understand because you know how this town reacts to, like, Native American stuff. So it's really weird that this girl was like, I'm gonna be Pocahontas. And I'm like, okay, that's weird, but, and also super inappropriate (laughs) because you're a white girl. And then (laughs) Alice goes, I'm gonna be Lily Langtree, (laughs) which if you just... If you just Google Lily Langtree, you'll see she was a very pretty, popular British-American socialite, and she was an actress, and she was a, a producer. She she was in high society. She attended a lot of, you know, fashionable gatherings, and so she was, I guess, what we would equate to, a, you know, a movie star of her decade. Now... Remember, if we're imagining that Colorado Springs is this very conservative kind of, you know, church, churchy town for the most part, Lily Langtree was also very famous for being a mistress to many a man, including the son of Queen Victoria, who would become Edward VII, 
while she was married to someone else, too. <laughs> she spent a lot of time with a lot of very prominent people, but I'm just imagining Alice's probably church-going mother being like, yes, you can be Lily Langtree. And I'm like, really? <laughs> hmm. And so I'm just wondering, is this one of those times where they're like, who are two historical figures that people could dress up as that they'll recognize? And I'm like, I don't think these are very good ones. (laughs) Like, why couldn't you just do Queen Victoria? I think, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, maybe that's what they were thinking. Like, oh, who who would these girls want to dress up as? And I think also for us, it's like, we have all this information about those two people, but what kind of information did they have True. during that time? So maybe, yeah, it is interesting. What was and published I, about Lily Langtree probably was just she's pretty and popular, yeah, which apparently is a very important thing at this time, right? And kind of like what we know about Thomas Jefferson, you know, his yeah. less admirable qualities. Pretty much not many people knew about that in his actual lifetime because he didn't talk about it. So that's a good point. You right. make a valid historical point at the in this time period. But I still am going to yeah. say that I don't think that Native American or any other race, right, should ever be a quote-unquote costume because it's like that's someone's literal culture and country and way of life it is interesting that wouldn't have been my first guess that they wanted what they would want to dress up as yeah and i forgot that they said that i just remember it being a costume party yeah but alice kind of gets tries to go walking out and poor colleen she's like so brave she's like hi alice and alice is like hi colleen okay bye (laughs) (laughs) and it's like that's how you know it's kind of very clear like yeah she she's very excluded purposefully did not in invite you because it wasn't like oh she didn't see me and she you know it was like no she did and she did not invite me and that's Um, in the next scene when dr mike finds (laughs) colleen crying in the wagon you know she says well maybe she didn't see you and she's like she walked right by me right and again in this scene i think it's meant to be funny i don't find it funny (laughs) i mean i thought it was pretty funny i thought the last line was pretty funny but i'm also this one i'm like how old is she? Because she's, like, literally in this wagon crying. Well, I mean. l- listen, like I said, it. this is for them. It is the end of the world. And she's like, yeah. I have no friends. Everyone makes Nobody fun of me. Nobody likes me. me. Uh, again, <laughs> I don't really like where she's like, people who are popular when they're young live dull lives when they're yeah. over. And I'm like, um, is this, is this really the message that you're wanting to send to young girls? I think it's all, it's all supposed to make her feel better, right? Like, but if that's what makes her feel better is like, you're popular now, your life is going to be dull. Like, that's, that's such a negative yeah. point of view. Well, and it's silly and it's silly and not necessarily true. And I, yeah, I mean, maybe and she, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, she's still used to this mom thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, but I think even if she had just said the second sentence, which is, People who are different often live to make great contributions in the world. Like, even if she had just said that, that would have been fine. And then if she had actually (laughs) thought of a lot of really cool people, because obviously she knows, like, Florence Nightingale, like, but then she goes, like, who? Abe Lincoln. And listen, I know it's supposed to be funny. I don't think it's funny because Colleen goes, yeah, they shot him. No, I thought it was really funny. I thought it was a laughing out loud it's mom moment because funny. I was like, 
yeah, she's still new at this mom thing, and she's kind of utterly failing, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> at least when it comes to pep talk, girl talk advice things. Yeah, that's a good point. We next find Lauren and Sully having a fight at the mercantile where Lauren is laying down his decision that he owns the land, therefore Sully has no claim for it. And Sully shouts out, you know, ever heard of squatter's rights? Which I was like, I have heard of squatter's rights. I don't know what they are. Same. So I looked it up. In the 1830s, squatter's rights, also known as preemption, was where someone had the right to purchase property that they had improved. And it was geared toward settlers, especially in the West, who, you know, got on a wagon, headed out West, picked a plot of land, built a house, you know, had started a farm, growing crops, whatever. They didn't have money probably when they moved out there, but then the hope is once they've started to make revenue from this farm, whatever, then they make some money. Now, because they had improved that land, not anyone could just walk in and be like, I'm going to buy this land, but they said, we've improved this land, and therefore we have first right to purchase the land. Um, So... The idea behind it, I think, was very positive. Uh, And so in 1841, Henry Clay kind of was a part of the making this preemption law that allowed people to have these, you know, these rights to property that they had invested in. Unfortunately, within the year, the law had led to a lot of um, corruption, a lot of people illegally, you know, claiming, oh, I can get this land at a cheaper price if I just convince them that I've done something to it. And, you know, back then it was, there's no photographs, there's no, you know, if, if you want to go check that people have actually invested in land, you have to, like, send someone out, you know, to see right. it. So it was, like, within a year, the, the, the law had kind of fallen apart. So so actually, almost 30 years later, a renewed act was the Homestead Act of 1862, speaking of President Lincoln, where Lincoln signed the Homestead Act, which the purpose of the Homestead Act was very similar in mindset, and it had to do with settlement and development of the American West, And it actually gave African Americans the opportunity to own land for the first time in U.S. history. Um, So it was it was about improving and developing the West, but it was also um, this idea of of once the the slaves are free, you know, where are they going to go? And so it was this step towards giving them the opportunity, not necessarily the right, but the opportunity to own um land i think here what sully's argument would be maude owned the land but sully built the homestead and the the barn and so therefore by this law he would have the right to purchase the land based on the fact that he made improvements to it whereas lauren just has the deed but has done nothing with the nothing and there's also we also see that lauren is is drinking Because he's still having a lot of hernia pain. This is where we find out that Lauren had 
actually planned more or less an arranged marriage for Abigail. He had a guy lined up to marry her who was going to come work in the store and take over when he died. And then we get, you know, Sully's trying to help. And, you know, he's like, I loved my daughter. And Sully's like, well, then why'd you close your door to her? Right. And... And Lauren actually gets a pretty good goat horse and bean. He gets a good punch in on on Joe Lando's face. Um, and but I love that like Sully doesn't fight back. He right? doesn't. He tries to calm Lauren down, control him from hurting anybody else, including himself, which he does. Mm. Um, but he does has no intentions of of hurting Lauren or or fighting back. Olive kind of comes running at this point, and that's when Lauren kind of yelps in pain and collapses. Yeah. And and Dr. Mike is already there, and I don't know, this kind of bothered me because she's like, just from him, like, yelping and collapsing, she's like, your hernia is strangulated, and I need to cut you open. Like, <laughs> I'm not really sure. I don't think that's how it works, and I, I think it's hard for me sometimes because so much of what I'm learning in PA school is, like, Okay, so if this is and this happens, like, oh, we might order these tests to rule something in or rule something out. And they don't really have that luxury at this time. No. So I guess she's just making, you know, the an assumption, the most likely assumption that that's what's happened because, I don't know, because he's in pain and he... Well, right before, right before Lauren actually loses consciousness, he's like, you can't cut me. And then he loses consciousness and then... Dr. Mike's like, okay, Olive, I need your permission. And she's like, what do you mean? He just told you he doesn't want it to happen. You know, he, he's not in his right mind or whatever. I need you to give me consent. He will he might die if he doesn't. And she's like, well, have you done it before? And she's like, well, I've never done it with these complications. Which, by the way, what does that mean? But she says, you know, he, he's going to die if I don't try. And so, reluctantly, Olive says, okay. Even though it is, I don't know, it's not even like this thing of like, oh, Lauren... Lauren didn't make his wishes known. Mm, he did. <laughs> but I guess they're just hoping that someone can make better choices for him. Well, because... and I, I mean, I guess they could argue he is drunk. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. He's not in his greatest state of mind. So she agrees. And next thing we know, because this town has nothing better to do, <laughs> they're all placing bets on whether Lauren lives or dies. Which I'm like, I get it. If it's it's funny, they're... What they're really betting on is whether or not Dr. Mike's going to Mike. kill him or not. But I'm like, you guys know at the end of this, some of you might win money where your friend has died. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, yeah. that, something about that doesn't sit well with me. And I do like that even the when Horace is the first one to agree to it, the reverend is like, Horace! Horace! <laughs> and, like, and then Myra's like, yeah, count me in my $3. <laughs> they're getting ready for the surgery and... Jake is trying to talk to an unconscious Lauren. Trying to be like, dude, you just gotta wake up so you can tell him not to do it. <laughs> Which is just funny to me because he's completely unconscious. And then he's <laughs> like, he's of course super judgmental about Colleen being in there. But it is funny because Olive is like, I'm not squeamish. And Jake's like, I need to be here to look after Lauren. Colleen's helping. And Dr. Mike's like, cool. So we're going to open this book and we're going to read what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. How (laughs) do you feel about that? Like reading it's, I don't know. She did the same thing with the cookbook, right? Where she was reading the book as she did it. From my experience, you're supposed to read all the directions first before you go. That's such a teacher thing to say. (laughs) That is a 
You're right. It, oh my gosh, it is. Read, that is such a teacher thing. Read everything before you do anything. Again, and without spoiling too much, we see this in later later episodes when perhaps she has to do something she's never done before reading the book. I don't know. I mean, sure, I get it, but most people would study beforehand. Yeah, but when you're in surgery, right? Like, you, you're you not looking at a book. You're not looking no, at instructions. No, no, of course. But also, I mean, in today's time, there's more than one surgeon there. You're going to have people there with helping. And so I, it, is, it is difficult, right? She's the only medical person there. Nobody else can be like, oh, maybe do this. Don't do yeah. that. Don't forget about this. Like, it's just her and her knowledge. And at this point, yeah, you know, it's it's limited, so... Yeah, it is kind of interesting, but they they use chloroform. We kind of talked about chloroform over the mouth and nose. and But everyone's kind of looking at each other right before Dr. Mike cuts. It's like this moment of like, okay. And Horace is still watching. and It's the most unsure we've ever seen Dr. Mike about a procedure. Which I'm sure is on purpose. But if you think back to the last number of episodes where... You know, she's like, this is what we need to do. I know what I'm doing. You know, you need to trust me. This this episode, she's almost the opposite. She's, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure if he's going to make it. I can't guarantee, you know, when we look at the progression of her character, just because I think we talked about this early on, you know, she always puts on this front, even when she doesn't know something, where she would, like, act like she did. Which is why I'm surprised. And so I think it goes to show how much more comfortable she's becoming in being more vulnerable and being more honest and recognizing, which I th- I think is, I don't know how you feel about it from a medical perspective, for, but just from a per- personal standpoint, I feel like that's healthy because you can't, you can't fake your way through everything. At some point you have to yeah. acknowledge that you don't have all the answers, but you can, you're all, and you can only do the best that you're going to do. And I think the, the beautiful thing that's going to happen with her and Olive later is that's exactly, Olive's going to recognize that. I know that you are going to do everything you can, and I'm grateful for that. So right. I, that is something that I like. I did too. That this scene, uh, I like that we don't see any of the gore, but we get all the gore from Horace's descriptions through the window, which it's, I, yeah. I didn't remember how consistent this theme was that the people of Colorado Springs have nothing better to do than find out what Dr. Quinn is doing and entertaining them for a couple hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and so that is what happens. They make the cut, and then Olive is like, actually, on second thought, maybe not. I like that Dr. Mike is talking through stuff, and Colleen is asking questions, but Dr. Mike quickly realizes it's a larger tear than she thought. Then Jake starts getting nauseous, and he kind of starts getting nauseous, and then Dr. Mike is talking through how it's how risky this is going to be because she has to cut around the tear, but she can't nick the bowel, or that could contaminate the wound, which is true, by the way. That is a that's something you want to watch out for because the bowel, well, think about what the bowel is full of. And if you do nick that, then all that stuff is going to leak into your abdominal cavity, which could cause so much Ugh. infection. <laughs> I wish everybody could see your face right now. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, Jake faints. <laughs> um, and did you notice how everybody is very sweaty? <laughs> they're all sweaty. Like, they did a good job. I like that because I'm like, that's accurate. Even Dr. Mike is like wiping her, her forehead because she's sweaty mm. and sanitary sanitary <laughs> yeah let's i mean yeah let's think about the fact that she's putting her bare hands into his 
abdomen. Yeah. I mean, you do what you gotta do, but it made me laugh that, that horse is like, Jake fainted, and everybody outside is like busting up laughing. <laughs> but I also like how they're like, oh, is he breathing? Great, we'll attend to him later. Um, <laughs> yeah. Horace, yeah, Horace is still narrating. He's like, this looks dangerous. The Reverend is praying. Aw, <laughs> the Reverend's so cute. I know. And and I like that Sully is, like, encouraging her, too. Mm. He's like, you got this? He is. You know? Well, and especially, I get, I did, we didn't really talk about it, but they have that little tiff, but then the next time they see each other, they don't acknowledge it. They just are back where they started, which I think... Like I said, I still I still think she owes him an apology, but it's mature because they yeah. they don't hold grudges. They are not Lauren Bray. Um, We've seen that before. Sully, yeah, he can. He's actually very quick to forgive. I think. Yes, he is. No, I I do agree with that. She's using a spoon to kind of gently push his intestines back um, into the cavity, <laughs> and horse is like. She's scooping his guts with a spoon. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. Then then she's a little dramatic. I don't know. She's like... Gotta bleed her. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that, but you know what? Is that is that real terminology? A, you know, someone who's a real surgeon can let me know. I've been in a number of operating rooms, but nothing... I've never seen it. I've never seen a hernia um, repair. So, yeah. I mean, things get nicked all the time, but I don't know. Just the way that she was a little... It was just interesting the way that she went about it, but she ties the vein off and sutures him up. And the end of the scene is Olive coming in and hugging a very uncomfortable looking Sully. Sully, and I know there's a lot of hugging in the rest of this episode. And then is Doctor Mike hugging Colleen, and I'm gonna point out every time people get hugged in the rest of this episode because it's so <laughs> much hugging. <laughs> Which, yeah, I'm only laughing because you guys, let me just share this little sister snippet with you. Sarah doesn't really like hugging that much, and I love it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're hugging again. <laughs> and I, But I literally wrote that to him, like, oh, Mike and Colleen are hugging, Olive and Sully are hugging, and Jake missed the whole thing. <laughs> um, what What is it? My, my physical touch is not one of my love languages. <laughs> Let's put it that yeah. way. Oh, well, I just wanted to say something really quick. Like, hernia repairs today, you can have an open hernia report, or a lot of them are laparoscopic, where you have um, those little, have you ever seen those little, like, little robot arms, and they actually make incisions, and the robots can go in and do it. And so people don't necessarily always have a lot of scarring with that, but normally you can go home the same day, and then recovery's like, you know, three to four weeks. Um, Did Dad have a hernia once? I was going to say, yes, our dad did. Oh. He did have a hernia repair. Yeah, let's just share our dad's medical information with you. We'll the ask him <laughs> if we're allowed to share that, but I <laughs> I thought I remembered yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one of the main things that they monitor those patients afterward is for infection because um, it can occur, and usually those patients are on antibiotics for that reason. Yeah, go ahead. You were talking about we're back at the clinic. Well, we're. St- and- I don't know if we're... I think we're still at the clinic. Right. Uh, Alice who we find out is Emily's niece. <laughs> Emily, I love how they just find a way to fit her into, like, every episode yeah. somehow. She's related to a lot of people and has a lot of children and loves Dr. Mike. Yep. Alice has come over to invite Colleen to the birthday party, and Colleen is ecstatic. The next day, we are confirmed it's the next day because we know that Lauren has made it through the night, though he has has not awakened. And poor Olive actually is seems worried sick about him. And we learn that 
Lauren is significantly older than Olive. He was an only child for a time. And she said, he's been mad at me for my whole life for being born. He was awful to me. Is that how you feel about me? And all I want to say is, this is how I... (laughs) This is how you feel about me. Yeah, just tell him. Okay, so Kelly and I are five years apart. I was an only child for five stinking years. And then this little chubby, cute little French baby came into the world (laughs) and ruined all my plans. And then bam, bam, right after that, we had two more brothers. And uh, I shouldn't make too much light of it because the five-year gap was not planned. Our mother did struggle with some infertility stuff but the point is yeah so i am a blessing to so the world so she's a miracle baby <laughs> and unfortunately she ruined my five can you imagine being five-year-olds are selfish little brats and can you imagine being an only child where you were your parents whole world for five years and then oh a- my gosh you're so dramatic <laughs> And she's friggin' cute, and she ruined everything. And this child, let me tell you about this child. My memories of Kelly when she was a baby (laughs) was that I would poke her (laughs) because, you know, older sister. But she would (laughs) scream as loud as she possibly would as though I had, like, punched her. And my mom would come in, and I would get in trouble because the ba- I'm, the baby was screaming bloody murder, and all I did was stinking poke her. <laughs> that is not what happened. That but is. It's called being. It's called playing the game smart, my friends. <laughs> um, but that is funny that you said that because she was like, he hasn't forgiven me since the day for being born, and I was like, hmm. Like I totally kind of understand this, but I also I think. It's also true. She said he's been awful to me forever, and I was not a very nice big sister. But I would say that she says, but he did protect me from anyone else. And I would say that not necessarily that I stood in front of bullies for you, but I would never let anyone be mean to you in the way that I'm mean to you. <laughs> that is. <laughs> I think true. most siblings are that way. It's like, yeah, I can talk smack about them, but you're not allowed yeah. to. Um, yeah. And I, I like Dr. Mike says, you know, it's difficult to live with them even when you love them. And I'm like, girl, ain't that the truth? But anyway, and even I like how Olive's like, you know, Lauren comes across but a certain way, but he, he really is soft, mm. and he's all I got, and I'm extremely grateful to you, Dr. Mike, for trying to save him, because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the first time that they are, that Olive actually acknowledges, like, okay, we've had our differences, mm-hmm. but but I respect you, and that's, that's gonna stay no matter what, which is very, very mature. Yeah. Well, and I also like uh, almost the way that she says that line it's like and if he doesn't make it i almost when i was watching i was like it's gonna be like a will never forgive you or like right. i'll make you pay and she's like and if he doesn't make it i want to thank you for doing everything that you could to save him and i yeah, yeah like i respect you and guess what they hug <laughs> and cry i literally and this is what's so funny is i wrote first hug in all caps and then i put a little smiley face <laughs> <laughs> again <laughs> yeah and and yeah and dr mike mike starts crying yeah it's a good scene then t- colleen is in town she bumps into the girls she very excitedly tells them that she has planned her costume and she's going to be florence nightingale which i think most people again this is a name maybe you've heard of but maybe you don't know much about her she's considered 
a writer, statistician, English reformer, and the founder of modern nursing. Yes. I do remember learning about Florence Nightingale in um, elementary school, maybe fourth or fifth grade. The reason she was called an English reformer is because she, well, she lived from 1820 to 1910, and something she really focused on, which I, as I was reading and watching some videos about her, she really advocated for clean and sterile uh, medical spaces and so things that were not common practice that now are you know laundering bandages uh providing fresh food clean water for especially she served as a war nurse during the crimean war which if you don't know that was a war from 1853 to 1856 it was the short version is it was about Christian minorities in the Holy Land and there were a lot of different countries including like the Ottoman Empire that were involved. But she really advocated for sterile, uh, san- sanitized, I don't know what the better word is, uh, wor- working environments, medical. And they say that because she was such a stickler for that is some of the reason why so many patients who were under her care or in her the the hospitals or makeshift you know medical stations that that's why a lot of them survived because of these extra measures that she took which now I'm sure you having worked in the hospital would be like that would be insane if you didn't do all those things but that was not normal practice during that time and she really advocated for that and initiated for that and so I think as far as like public health goes in the true words of calling her a reformer she really reformed what was the norm and it really was for the better. Yeah, and it makes sense why someone like Colleen would want to be her. But in this excited moment of sharing with them, she walks by and ends up hearing them talk about, why did you invite her? And they're like, my aunt made me. They actually turn around and realize that she heard, which is like, oh, the worst moment because now it's not even like, oh, you just said it, but like she heard you, so. Well, do you think, I don't know, I I wouldn't put it past middle school girls to have consciously, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like knowing they were still close enough to hear. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so Colleen immediately goes to the mercantile where she confronts Dr. Mike. I wish that she had expressed more why she was angry, because she doesn't. She just kind of even into the next scene where she walks out into the meadow and Dr. Mike goes after her, you know, she doesn't ever say why she's angry. She just says, you know, Dr. Mike's like, I was trying to help. She's like, you just made it worse. And I just would like to know a little bit more what Colleen is feeling. Is she feeling disappointed that these girls didn't invite her herself? Is she feeling angry that Dr. Mike, you know, tried to fix it? Is she feeling, you know, embarrassed that Dr. Mike had to ask for her to be invited like I just would really like to know what it is that has upset her so much and maybe it's a combination of all of the three yeah. but Colleen never actually says herself what it is but I like Dr. Mike then says and I think this is she's tried to give advice multiple times right I think she finally gets it right here and this is what I I really hope the message is that young girls, you know, take away, girls and boys, anyone. If you're happy with who you are and what you're doing, you'll find the friends who are right for you. 
And I think mm. I think that should be the message. Because all these other things, or these two other times she gave advice, it was like looking at other people. Oh, yeah, she has this. You don't have it yet. You're prettier right. than her. It's okay. You know, they, they're, they're popular now, but later their life won't, will be dull. But here she says, the only person, Colleen, you know, that you need to worry about is yourself. If you're happy with who you are, and if you're not happy with who you are, then no one else is going to change that, right? Like, that's you. You can work on yourself. So, like I said, I really like this. When you find those people that are meant to fit with you, that, like, it'll happen when you're comfortable with yourself. When you're not looking yeah. at, oh, I wish I was like her, had what she had, or could do what she, you know, and stop comparing yourself and just look at yourself you know my uh, my perspective on that as like a christian would then be like working in god to that who i am in christ has nothing to do with what other people are saying or doing it's who i am in him and guess what at the end of the scene they hug (laughs) you're hilarious we are back at the clinic because in case you guys were wondering we don't know what happened to lauren yet they're all kind of there waiting for lauren to wake up and sure enough, he, he does, and they inform him we impaired, we repaired the hernia, and he's pretty, can I say pissed? <laughs> he's pretty pissed. <laughs> he tries to get up, and they're trying to lay him down because they don't want him to do more damage. Somehow he's convinced that Sully... Was, trying to kill him. Sully did it trying to kill him, which is like, okay, zero to a hundred, and, and I like that Dr. Mike says, you know, we're all fighting as hard as we can to keep you with us. And that seems to be what calms him down a little bit because he's like, wait, I'm dying? <laughs> well, and then we have another one of those things that kind of annoys me because she's like, oh, he has a weak and rapid pulse. He needs blood transfusion. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that could be a number of things. Like, in fact, you know, with just like inspiration, like your, your pulse can actually increase and when you expire, it can decrease. So I'm not saying that's the case here, but I'm saying like, your pulse can change with so many different things. And so, I don't know, it just kind of bothered me again that she just, like, jumps to this massive conclusion. Well, let me conclusion, let but me talk to you about, I want to see if I have actual, if I actually have some doctor knowledge. She wants to do a blood transfusion, and Olive says, I'll do it. And she says, no, we have a better chance of it matching if it's from a man. From my knowledge of blood and blood types... Actually, the chances probably would have been better if Olive would have done it because she's related to him, right? So the probability that they're the same blood type was likely higher than Sully. I don't think it has, does it have anything to do with gender? It doesn't, right? That would be correct. Good job. <laughs> I was giving you the look like to make yeah, you, you think you, you were I was right, like, no, I right. thought I knew a thing. For the story, we need it to be Sully. Well, for the story, but also that, so here's the thing. Everybody kind of today knows about blood typing, right? You know you're going to be A, you're going to be B, you can be A, B, or you can be O. And we know about that now, but that did blood typing did not occur um, until 1901. And we, we actually learned about this in class because they talk about it a lot because this actually is why a lot of women died in childbirth. So we could think about Abigail even. is because... Because of something called the rhesus factor. Ugh, I don't want to go into too much detail, but basically, not only do we know about A, B, A, B, and O, we know about positive and negative, right? Most people know, you know, like me, I'm O positive. What are you, O positive? I think we're all O positive except for mom, who's negative. So, like, people don't know about that, but your baby can actually be a different 
rhesus factor could be positive or negative. Anyway, without going into too much detail, they didn't know about that then. So, so 1901 was when blood typing was being um, discovered, but in 1907 was when they figured out about cross-matching, meaning, oh, if you have incompatible blood, so you're basically mixing incompatible blood, that can actually affect someone's prognosis. So this case, they didn't know about that. So they, yeah, the assumption was, oh, it's a man. It's most likely from a man. But yeah, you'd be correct in saying that it probably would have been more likely that that blood transfusion would have been successful with Olive because they um, had the same parents. The rhesus factor thing didn't even come till like 1939, 1940. Um, so when you think about in the time span, like that's still relatively recent when you're talking about medicine and and dr mike in the next scene does kind of mention that when she's prepping sully like she says sometimes it doesn't work and and she says we don't know why which i was like but i think i know why (laughs) it's blood types what and it's interesting because this is the first time you know she's definitely blamed herself for other people's deaths like maud or uh charlotte but this is the first time where she actually expresses to Sully that she's worried that if Lauren dies, everyone will blame her. I was like, why Why would she care about that now? And maybe it's because these people aren't strangers that she's having to prove herself to anymore. Maybe it's because these are her friends, right? She doesn't want to let Olive down. She doesn't want, yeah, like the people in the town to no one to want anything to do with her anymore because they think you know that she killed lauren against his will more or less so i was like that's a interesting um just character peek behind the curtain the first successful blood transfusion didn't happen till 1818 there was a british guy who basically gave human because at the time for a long time they were using animal blood wait and do so animals have the, blood types like us, or they're totally different. Um, uh, that's a good question. They they do have no, they do because every every blood is gonna have antibodies to other types. But I'm not I'm not sure exactly how it works to be honest with animals. But um, obviously they're not always successful. And why is that, right? Because again, they didn't know anything about mixing incompatible blood. And the reason that that happens is because you can actually trigger an immune response. Everybody's red blood cells. Um, have antibodies against other blood types. So if you're going to give me a blood type that my body has antibodies to, it's going to react in basically an immune response that's going to cause those cells, those red blood cells, to clump, which is an issue because if you are clumping, you're going to have a lot of um, lysis, which is basically just the breaking open of those cells, and now you are going to have free hemoglobin, and that can cause death. And so a lot of these transfusions were not always successful, which Dr. Mike says, you know, and they don't know why. Well, that's why, because you're you're causing your body to have an immune response to something that it should not be there. I think it's interesting because I would be more concerned about this than I would be concerned about the fact that she cut him open and tried to put intestine back in, his intestines back in, because this could start going horribly wrong, yeah. to be honest. And, and now, I mean, we know a lot about like bloodborne pathogens and diseases that are carried with blood. So, I mean, you could be, I don't, I'm, I don't think Sully has anything crazy, but I'm just saying like, what if he did? And, and now you're passing it to someone that's increased age with higher risk. So the transfusion is happening and, you know, Lauren and Sully are stuck in the same room together. And he's like, Lauren's basically like, why, why are you doing this? Right? Like, is it about the land? And Sully's like, I don't, care about the land. I like when he says that. He's like, I don't care 
about that the line. That line's so good because the I think the performance even in that line, you can hear it's almost like I am not fighting the battle that you're still trying to fight with me. And to take us away probably from all the emotions of that scene, we get Colleen has gone out to pick some flowers for Mr. Bray and she is walking back and actually sees Alice and one of Alice's friends. And I guess they have heard the news that Colleen assisted and they are all into, tell us what it was like, tell us about his intestines, tell us about the yeah. blood. Did you see his insides? Yeah, and they're, and I mean, I think it's a... I declare. It's a cool moment for Colleen too because she doesn't, she doesn't even like, pridefully be like oh yeah I did this and it was cool it's more just like oh yeah like I'm learning about this and this thing happened but you know I don't know I just I like the way that she doesn't revel in the girls the way that the girls are impressed but it almost is like oh yeah like this was something she really enjoyed getting the opportunity to do and they're excited to talk to her about it and she smiles, you know, when they're walking away and they're like, I bet she'll become a doctor too. <laughs> I love that. Outside the clinic, uh, Sully and Dr. Mike are there and Dr. Mike is just saying like, we're going to find out soon what happened if the transfusion worked. Um, but she's more kind of expressing like, I hope we don't have to leave the homestead, you know, and he's like, well, where would you go? I guess they would move into the clinic, but she's, I didn't even think about this. She's like, you know, I'm not really sure how the children would feel about being in the same place that their mother died. Sully's like, oh, yeah, well, you better prepare them mm-hmm. for that to possibly happen. And honestly, I think they could have cut this scene and put more of these reasons into the kids' discussion. When she, Like, I think she could have yeah. just, like, prepared them at home without Sully being like, you should prepare them and have the kids' voice some of those things like because to me when she does tell them Matthew's like all the people coming and going which I'm like there have been plenty of people coming and going injured from the homestead too right and then he's worried about his horse and the other animals and then Colleen's like the chickens can't go to Robert E and I'm like Brian's worried about his his pup but anyway yeah like having a place to live I don't know I just feel like it would have been more meaningful for the kids to to voice some of those things like I don't want to move back like we left there our mom died there it's your clinic I just felt like those two scenes could have been could have been looped together one that would have made the kids reasons for not wanting to go stronger instead it felt a little less emotional for the kids and then Dr. Mike was really emotional alone. After they voice all their concerns, it's like, well, when will we have to leave? And she's like, yeah, so probably tomorrow. Um, you know, and she's like, I'm sure, yeah, she's like, I'm sure everything will be fine. And all the kids basically get up and leave. And it's just kind of like this Wowzers, like, mom moment of like, so that yeah, went well. Exactly. <laughs> and, and then Colleen is like, why are you, why are you, are you glad? You don't sound glad. And she's, it's her first home. And then Colleen hugs her. (laughs) Back at the clinic, we have Lauren who's pulling through and... Lauren hears Sully's voice and yells, don't be creeping around, come in here. Because he literally just came to check if Lauren was okay and then was going to leave. I like it. It's like a 
It's a grumpy old man moment, but I like it. I like (laughs) how he, Lauren admits, you wrecked all my plans, and you think it's going to be the same speech that he's been giving, but then he says, but I recognize that they were my plans. And that I was too proud to, to tell her that. Yeah, and then we learn he actually went so far as to disown Abigail and Sully reassures him. He reassures him. Like, she never stopped loving you, even despite that. He goes to give him an envelope that he doesn't want to take, and he's like, why are you so stubborn? And probably the same reason I you love are. It. And I like that. But I think what I like most about this scene is you realize that maybe Lauren isn't as mad at Sully as he kind of pretends to be. I think he's more mad at himself. Because she died. Yeah, he, he has regret. And he feels like, yeah, like he failed her. He failed to love her in the way that he wanted to. And not just even when she chose to go with Sully, but even before that in the making his plans for her life kind of thing, you know? I, yeah. It's, it's funny how, like, he's able to voice all that, but then he's still like... Okay, like, get out of here. Like, you got, like, you just gonna not let this old man get some sleep? Like, you know, still trying to, like, play it off of, like, we didn't just have this, like, very nice life-changing moment <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, and and it's very cute. Sully goes to leave, but then ends up sitting in the chair, kind of watching Lauren to make sure that he's okay and taken care of. I just, I just love Sully. <laughs> and then... We're packing up the homestead, and I would be so stinking mad because they're, like, <laughs> packed up half their stuff. Basically and done. And gets there and was like, guess what? You don't have to move. And they're like, what do we do with this stuff? And she's like, oh, just put it back. And I'm like, I would be so mad. <laughs> no, I literally pictured mom being like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and guess what? They all hug. <laughs> Yay. And then it's like, oh, what is Dr. Mike doing? There's, like, this trunk, and she says, you know, this is all Abigail's stuff, and what should we do with it? And and Sully actually thinks for a while, and then he he says, give it all to Lauren, which is a nice way to tie tie all of this episode together and the, like, okay, they've reconciled, they've had the hard conversations. But I don't like it. I gathered from the look on I your think- face. I mean, he looks at his wedding photo. Like, he's allowed to keep his stinking wedding photo. (laughs) I know, but maybe he doesn't want to. I don't think he says that because he's like, oh, Dr. Mike told me I should get over this. Let me just get rid of all this stuff. I don't think that's what it is. I think maybe it's it's too painful. The reason that he didn't go through the home... Remember when she moved into the homestead, everything was just like it was, you know? So it's it's... I think it's painful for him, and he doesn't want to have to relive that all the time, so... You know, I know, but it's not like it's gone forever. It's like, it's like the next part too, where she like invites him for dinner again, which is like their thing. You know, her inviting him for dinner. Yeah, it's normal. But then, I don't know. I just it's a weird beat because then she's like, "Will you stay for dinner? We have a lot to celebrate." And I'm like, "Like what? Him deciding not to keep his wife's trunk?" See, it's interesting how you always think of things that I never think of, no, because I'm like, oh, they're celebrating the fact that, I don't know, they don't have to move out of their house, he's reconciled with Lauren. I'm sure that those are the reasons, right? Lauren's okay, they don't have to move. But But. it's the timing of it, the timing, right? Like, I'm okay with them showing progress in their relationship, 
Like, I've never... <laughs> I've never fallen in love with a man whose first wife died. So I recognize <laughs> that this is and will be a conflict in their future relationship, which, as we've established, they don't have a relationship right now that is romantic. But I'm, like, it makes sense that this would be a conflict in their relationship whenever that relationship decides to happen. I just don't feel that this was the moment to introduce it into their relationship. Gotcha. And that's the end of the episode, so please tell me. I feel like there's a lot of episodes, I mean, scenes you could choose from here, but what would you say was your favorite scene? I think my favorite scene is Dr. Mike finally getting the advice right and saying, mm. you know, if you're happy with who you are and what you're doing, then you'll find friends who are right for you. I, I like that scene for Colleen's character, for Dr. Mike's character, and for all the young and old viewers watching the show. For me, I feel like I always pick the cliche. <laughs> I know what scene you're going to pick. Can I guess? You're going to pick when Sully stays to, after they talk about her loving him. Her Abigail loving him. Yeah. I mean, the scene where they talk about it and then he stays. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I watched that scene, I was like, this is going to be Kelly's favorite scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'm predictable. What can I say? But I just... Not predictable. Consistent. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I also just like... I just know so many people. Not so many people, but that kind of like old man thing of like, let myself be vulnerable, be soft, but then also be like, yeah, just kidding. Like, <laughs> let me go back to my normal self and be like, Okay, enough of this. Um, so that's what kind of makes me laugh because Lauren is definitely like that and it makes him likable, but I like the conversation they have for obvious reasons. So what about ranking? We currently are the pilot, the visitor, the law of the land, epidemic. The thing is, yeah. hmm, I think that there are a lot of things in this episode that don't work. It's kind of like the last... I mean, the last episode we were saying, like, there's a lot of good stuff, but the way it's presented is not the best. And this one is not in the exact same way, but... The, la the, the law of the land, the problem that I had with that episode more so was the ending. Like, then yeah. the whole episode, it's, like, the whole story itself. This one, it's bits and pieces of kind of the whole thing that I have trouble with. But then I really, I really like Lauren and Sully's character development in this yeah. episode. And I, at the same time, I don't want to be like, I'm really glad that Colleen finally got her own storyline because so far she hasn't really had one, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Whereas I feel like this one is, she's experiencing some genuine, very relatable hurt and disappointment in her life and kind of learning how to deal with that. I think I actually would put this at the bottom of the list. Wow. I mean, we only have five episodes. <laughs> what are you thinking? No, I'm comfortable with putting this in fifth place. Not because no, it's a bad it's not, episode. Yeah, exactly. It's not it's... a bad episode. But out of all the ones so far, I think this is the one that I've had the most struggle with big chunks of it. Yeah. If you're good with that, I'm good with it. Please make sure to... Let us know what you thought about this episode. Don't forget that you are more than welcome to write in lessons that you think characters learned in this episode. I feel like there's a lot of 
content that you guys could write in about to us. If you're interested in writing in or want to learn more about the podcast, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, our website, which is www.notaladypodcast.com dot weebly w-e-e-b-l-y dot com not a lady podcast all one word as well as our email not a lady podcast at gmail.com and we just want to thank you for listening to this episode of not a lady a dr quinn medicine woman podcast if you like this episode you can support us by liking or sharing our content on social media be sure to join us for our next episode season one episode six father's day Thanks for listening. A bientôt.